We'll continue in the second letter from Peter in chapter 2, if you want to follow along this morning. Oh, I'm so totally, I totally skipped something, didn't I? Hey, Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, we'll continue in the, uh, Peter's second letter, chapter 2. If you want to read along with me, we'll be there. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but Peter writes, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we come to it now, we ask your spirit to be moving in our hearts, opening our ears and our minds that we may hear your word and understand it. That we may be convicted by it. We may be driven to the cross of Christ and equipped to pursue the things of your kingdom with more vigor and more love and more faith. We pray these things in Christ our Savior. Amen. Be seated. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. We continue in in, in Peter chapter 2 here, as Harry spent the last couple weeks going over the first chapter, and, and Peter here lays out for us really two warnings and a promise. It's, and the promise, it's kind of the Oreo, the promise is sandwiched between these two warnings. And the warnings are set up to warn us against false teachers, against false prophets, um, and against the, their teachings. And it's a little bit different than Paul's warnings against them. Paul was dealing with a different group altogether. Paul was dealing with the Judaizers who were coming along and saying, to be a Christian, you have to take on the fullness of the Jewish 
customs, the Jewish tradition, the Jewish religion, on top of your faith in Jesus. It's not enough. Peter's writing to a group of churches where that's not the issue. It's actually the opposite. I titled this sermon, It's, it's, not, it's No Big Deal, because that, that's kind of what these false teachers are saying, what they're teaching. So we're going to look this, this morning at, at who these teachers are, the questions we need to ask of those that are teaching us to figure out whether or not they're good teachers. And not if they're skilled at teaching, but if they're, they're true in their teaching. Because Peter gives us marks of what the false teachers are, and you can look at those marks and say the opposite would then be true of those who are true teachers. And we're going to look at, at, at the fruit of their teaching, and then lastly at the promise, and the, what, what comes with the promise, the promise of judgment and the promise of rescue. And so if you're with me, let's dive in. These teachers, what, what, what marks do they have? Well, in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says that these false prophets um, arose among the people, it's speaking of the Old Testament, saying that, that just like in the, the people of God of old, when false prophets arose, people of God here in the New Testament, people of God now in our day, there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be people who come with something that's not the truth of God's word. And he says of them, and, and, and with them, they will, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They'll bring in destructive heresies. They are destructive teachers. So the question you have to ask yourself of your teachers is, are they constructive? Are they building you up? Or are they tearing you down? Are they building you up more to pursue the righteousness of Christ? Are they encouraging you to grow in your faith? Or are they tearing you down? They're destructive in what they do. They also come from within. It's not that they're, they're out there. And we often think that, right? We often think of the people out there in culture, out there in the world who are, who are proclaiming false things. They're the ones we've got to be weary of. They're the, they're the ones we've got to watch out for. They're, it's not them. It's from within the people of God that the false prophets arose. It's from within the people of God that these false teachers will rise. Are they constructive? Those who are in front of you, those podcasts you listen to, those pastors at other, at other churches who are better preachers, the books you read, are they constructive? Do they build you up and encourage you in your faith to rely more upon Christ and, the, and seek the things of his kingdom or not? Second, they, 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 the, the, the fruit lets you know what kind of tree it is. Do their lives measure up to the way and the things they teach? Are their lives as beautiful as the gospel they proclaim? He says, and, and, and he says they, they deny the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The way they live is their life concurrent with their teaching. False teachers live lives often that are shameful and filthy full of sexual immorality and lies because false teaching is essentially at its root selfish. If you translate the word heresy in its most wooden form, it means to take something for yourself. And so these false teachers bringing these heresies are doing that. We, uh, we lived in, in Florida for a few years and, and ministered there at a church and we had a, um, a situation that... that Second Peter really reminds me of. 
There was a, a pastor while we were in Florida who, who's a well-known pastor. He was a very well-known pastor. He was the pastor of, of a really large, big steeple, old PCA church who preached and taught and wrote books that, that I read and listened to. And I mean, he was a good preacher. He's the kind of preacher you could listen to and be like, I could listen to him again. Same thing, and I wouldn't get bored. Or I'd find something new to write down and take a note on. And he wrote books that... that, that we were devouring and, and, and underlining and highlighting. And, and then it all came apart. He, he got caught in, 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 an, in an affair with a woman at the church. And the church fell apart. And, and, and that was heartbreaking enough. But the part that was really the horror for me is that that happened down in South Florida, really far from, from us. But then a church in our presbytery hired him. Not as a pastor. He, he, he wasn't allowed to be a pastor any longer. But as the director of ministries. Because he's really good at what he does. He, he is smart and, and intelligent and he's slick. And so they hired him as the director of, the minist- of, of ministries. And slowly but surely, this man who had been repentant on national television and national publications. and Well, it came out that he wasn't keeping his end of the bargain. So this church who had defended their hiring in front of our presbytery then had to eat their words and fire him because he had again been found in adultery. And been again found in, in being told he wasn't allowed to go and teach, been found out that he was traveling and, and teaching at conferences that he wasn't telling people about. His teaching was beautiful and orthodox, but his life was unorthodox. Do your teachers' lives live up to what they proclaim? I'm not saying your teacher's going to be perfect. I'm not. Harry's not. But do they live a life in front of you that proclaims the truth that they preach and they teach? Are they repentant when they're in sin? Are they repentant when they're outside the Word of God? Are they repentant in front of you? Do you see the fruits of their teaching in their own lives? Or is it destructive? Is it self-centered? Verse 3, it says, And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Are your teachers concerned for you? Or are they trying to exploit you? Are you one more follower? Are you one more attender? Are you one more dollar? Because in their greed, they will buy and sell you, these false teachers, for a profit. Because that's what they're worried about. They're not worried about you. They don't care for you. They're worried about making a name for themselves. They're worried about being big and popular. They're worried about being a celebrity pastor. Do your teachers care for you? Do they seek your good? Do they seek to draw attention to themselves and loyalty back to them? Or do they seek to push you more and more to the cross and to Christ? question to ask yourself about your teachers is, is am I growing more in love with Christ or more in love with the teacher? Do I find myself quoting the teacher more or driven to the word of God more? Peter outlines for us all these things that are marks of these false teachers that are among us and even within us. Because they're within our hearts. These, these, These false teachers are within you and I. 
Sure, it can be the, the person that's in front of you teaching, but it also can be your own heart saying to you, it's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You're not as bad as they are. Diminishing the one who bought them, even denying him and the need they have, that you have, that I have, to be bought. To be bought. He ends this first warning saying, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. There is condemnation. There is judgment. There is wrath. Do not neglect your soul to the false teachers. But it's not, it's not just that we shouldn't neglect our souls to them. It's that, that we're called to look out for each other's souls. We're called to call each other out of false teaching and back to the truth of God's word. And we're called to call false teachers out of it and back to it. So whenever we get a sniff or a smell, whenever we hear it or see it, whether it be legalism, whether it be it licentiousness, we should begin to question it. We should even challenge it. That we might be called out of it. We might be restored to right teaching. Here's the thing. All of us here this morning are capable of being duped. We are. We're all capable of being duped. And, and, and we can't say that we love someone. We can't say that we're looking out for someone. We can't say that, that we care about someone. And not tell them of this kind of condemnation. We can't, we can't say we love them and we care about them and not call them out of the heresies of false teachers and into the light of God's Word and its truth. So he tells us these teachers are destructive. They only care about themselves. Their lives don't measure up to what they proclaim and that there's condemnation waiting for them. He also tells us what, what the fruit of their teaching is. If you look beginning down in the second half of part uh, verse 10 and, and, and through the end of the chapter, he says, Behold, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce blasphemous judgments against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. He just keeps going. All these things that is the fruit of their false teachings. It's the fruit of who they are. Licentiousness. The idea that, that grace covers it so we can do whatever we want. It sounds great. And that's what they're doing. They, 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 they revel in the daytime. What does that mean? Well, it means that things that used to be done behind closed doors, things that used to be done with with the, the lights off and the shades down, they now do in broad daylight. I grew up um, Southern, Southern Baptist, 
And uh, there are things that we didn't do. We didn't play cards. We didn't dance. And we didn't drink. Unless nobody else was watching. You know, you've probably heard, heard the joke, how do you keep your Baptist friend from drinking your beer when you're fishing? You bring another Baptist with you. <laughs> now, there, there are things that, that when I grew up, you didn't do in public. That are common now in public. And I'm not that old. For many of you, it's even a greater difference. Some of those things are sin. Some of those things aren't sin. But the world around us is not ashamed of its sin. The world around us doesn't care. They revel in the daytime. They boast of their sinfulness. They have eyes full of adultery. Hearts trained in greed. It's the fruit of their teaching. This free grace that covers everything. I can go and do and live as I please. Grace isn't cheap. It, it's not cheap. And we cheapen it when we live like that, when we think like that. It's actually exorbitantly expensive. It's priceless. It cost God His very Son. who lived and died for it. It's not cheap. And when we live like it just covers everything and we're not called to the obedience that we should have, we cheapen it. You hear the old hymn, Jesus paid it all. The next line is, and all to him I owe. We often live like Jesus paid it all so I can do whatever I want to do. Because what's it matter? Where, where, where in your life are you saying it's not a big deal? Where are you saying it isn't that bad? Where are you saying I'm not as bad as they are? You know, I'm, I'm a big movie buff. Uh, there's a movie. It's an older movie. There's some knights and they're on the quest for the Holy Grail. And they get to... Uh, a passage, and they, they, they've got to get through the Black Knight. And um, I hear some of you laughing, you, you, know, you know the movie, and, and they get to the Black Knight, and, and they've got to defeat him, and, and the, the knight cuts his arm off, and he proclaims victory, and the Black Knight's, oh, no, no, it's, it's, it's but a scratch. And so the fight continues, and, and you get to the point where the, the Black Knight's armless and legless. It's but a scratch. It's that you haven't won yet. No, I'll bite your ankles. We sound like that often when we think about our own sin. It's but a scratch. It's a flesh wound. It's no big deal. No, it is. For there's condemnation. There's judgment. Our sin is a big deal. It was a big enough deal that Christ died for it, bled for it, that it might be paid for, that you might be bought. But the fruit of their teaching is that it doesn't matter. 
Does the teaching that you listen to, does the podcast you turn into every day on the way to work, does the book you're flipping through make a big deal of sin? Or does it cheapen it? Does it push it aside for other things? Where are you saying it's no big deal? It's not just two warnings. There's a promise that's sandwiched right between them. It's a promise that shows us that that, that there's going to be judgment against evil. It starts and it tells us, If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains. If he did not spare the ancient world with the flood. if, if, If he... By turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. The promise of judgment against evil. He gives us these these threefold examples here, sandwiched between his warnings against false teachers and false teachings. And they they really lay out for us that, that he's removing any doubt from our mind that our God is big enough to deal with the wickedness of the world. In the Greek, these, these sentences that we see um, in English that are broken up in verses 4 to 6 is one big long sentence in thought. Coupled together to, to show they're linked. Our God is big enough and able to judge the wicked. And he's showing us that these, you know, the angels who are more numerous and more powerful couldn't withstand the judgment. They couldn't stand before God. The cities of of Sodom and Gomorrah, we often think it's their sexual immorality that got them smited and turned to ash, but it wasn't. They were three of five cities. They were two of five cities. The other three were spared. They were in a very fertile area. They they, they had actually just begun to have a self-reliance. And in that self-reliance become self-indulgent. And that's what led to the sexual immorality. But they began to think in our wealth, in our materials, we're, we have enough. We don't need God. We can stand up to his judgment. And it didn't work out. Noah's time. It's the whole world is full of evil. Everybody's in the same camp except for Noah and his few, and they really are too. It's just by the grace of God they were told to build a boat. It's the whole world. Everybody's in the same place. Maybe there's something that, that you're holding on to that, that is really sin, but, but a whole lot of other people say it's okay too, so you're like, it's okay. Every, everybody says this is okay now. Well, that was Noah's time. The whole world said it was okay. And yet there was judgment against evil. Peter's saying that it's not by material wealth, it's not by power, it's not by respect, it's not by prestige, it's not by how many people are in your camp. God's judgment is God's judgment, and it is coming against evil. You can't stand before it and think you've got control because of those things. But it's delayed, right? I mean, it's, it's, it says this is the promise of what's coming. We often think of God's delayed judgment as a sign of weakness. He doesn't care. It's actually a sign of strength and of wisdom. If you're familiar with the, the parable in Matthew 13, the, the owner of the land sows seed. His enemy comes along and sows weeds in with it. And as it comes up, it's, 
the weeds are growing up with the wheat. And his servant comes and says, we, we, we should go out and, and get the weeds out. And he says, no, 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 that, that, that might hurt the wheat. Because he was a wise owner. And he, he knew that as it grew up, once they harvested it, and they took it to the threshing floor and they threw it into the wind, the wheat would fall and the weeds and the shaft would be blown away. There's wisdom and strength and being able to wait. And I, I, I know that there are, there are times we look around and say, how long, O Lord? How long? But His delayed judgment is a sign of His compassion. It's a sign and a chance for you and I to repent. It's a chance for you and I to throw ourselves onto Christ. For today is the day of salvation. For who knows how long He will withhold and delay. So why these stories? Why, why, why these three? They're a merciful picture. They're a reminder of some small down payments of judgment that God has made throughout redemptive history. And they should be enough for you and I to look at them and say, we need to return to Christ. We need to leave our self-reliance behind and rely on Him. For He is going to judge those who are wicked and ungodly. So what's the point for for you as a Christian? What's the point for the believer? We often look at the horrors around us and think, God's slack. Maybe he's gotten lazy. Maybe he's forgotten something. And so we go out and start to try on our own and do it on our own. And leave him behind. And leave him out of it. We shouldn't think that. His promise here in 2 Peter is that he's going to bring judgment at the proper time. And in the meantime, he preserves you for just as it says he's going to judge the ungodly it says he will rescue the godly so they're here to to tell us to, to, to turn from i can't wait for and turn to a trust in his completeness in his fullness in his wisdom of his judgment it's a humble reliance it's a humble reliance because we we can look at the world around us and think we're not going to be judged Look how much worse they are than us. Right? I mean, there's a lot of people a lot worse than I am. And I, I know I've got, I've got my warts and my scars and, and things, but there's a lot of people a lot worse. They deserve what's coming to them. They deserve the judgment that's going to be heaped upon them on the great day of judgment. We think that often. And sometimes we gladly think that. But we're called to, to a, a humble reliance. We, we should never hear ourselves saying they deserve it. Because we, we dismiss from that the fact that we also deserve it. That, that save for the grace and the mercy of God, we also deserve it. That in His grace, while you were still an enemy, He conquered you. He brought you home. He has mercy only because He has saved you. Not because something you did. Not because something you didn't do. But because of His grace and the work of Christ on your behalf. And so it's out out of that 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 our cry becomes they deserve what's coming to them to, to Lord have mercy on my enemies. 
as you have had mercy on me, your enemy. Lord, delay a little bit longer that you might call them home as well. Just as he says he's reserving judgment, he's going to rescue us. Verse 5, he begins and, and he says, if it didn't spare the ancient world but preserved Noah... And then he says, by, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ash, he condemned them to extinction. Verse 7, and if he rescued righteous Lot. Rescued, so righteous Lot. Preserved the righteous and godly Noah. So the promise of judgment and the promise of rescue. Who are these godly men, Lot and Noah? you know your, your Bible, you probably would not describe either of them as very righteous or very godly. Uh, we won't get into too, too many details, but we'll, just, we'll use Lot as, as the example. Um, Lot's story doesn't start out too great. He seems to be kind of a selfish guy. He's given a chance to choose the land where he and his will settle, and he chooses the best land for himself. And that's just the first picture of, of things. And then you know, we, we get a picture of him being somewhat hospitable. And, and, and Peter tells us that his soul was being tormented by the, the wickedness around him. So much so that, that he, he threw his daughters to the men of the city instead of his guest. Think about that. That's, that's a righteous guy. That's a godly man. Just a little bit later, after he's been delivered from the city, he gets drunk and visits some of the same evils on his daughters that the men of the city would have done. Righteous? Godly? Not by his actions. Not by his actions. He and Noah both were made righteous by God. Through faith. Like you and me. See, God's, God's judgment on the wicked, we, we see how big it is. that You can't stand before it, but it's all encompassing. And save for the mercy and grace of God found in Christ Jesus, we deserve it. Do your false teachers tell you that? Or do they make little of your sin? God's warnings here in Peter are a sign of his love. That he would warn us against such things. To call us home to the truth. Because the real danger in the false teachers, the real danger is that, that when our conscience begin to be dulled to sin, when we begin to be apathetic to rooting sin out of our lives, we begin to lose the need to be delivered from it. And we begin to lose the need for Christ. That's the warning. Who are your teachers? Are they constructive? Do they care for you? Do their lives live before you proclaim the same things that they teach? Or are they calling you to a false gospel and false teachings? And leading you in a way of destruction. Is your own heart doing it? 
belittling the things that you know are wrong. Making light of the things that you know are sin. Hear these words this morning. Be called out of that heresy and back to the truth that we are sinners in need of saving. For Jesus paid it all and all to Him we owe. Let us pray. Father, we come to You this morning grateful for Your Word that You love us enough to to warn us of false teaching. To call us to the truth of the cross and the life lived with it at its center. We pray that You would equip us, Your saints, to pursue You in the things of Your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.